Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, Episode 29, a look at one-to-one computing for January 13th, 2011. This week, we'll do just like the title um, indicates. We're going to have a look at uh, the state of one-to-one computing as it exists right now. And uh, specifically, we're going to look at uh, uh, some of the options uh, out there. This isn't really going to be a hardware-specific episode or a software-specific episode or a geek-specific episode or a teacher-specific episode. It's it's more uh, general theory and 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 uh, ideas, I think. it's just, uh, One-to-one is a hot topic out there, and it's one of those things that's been around for a long time. Uh, but we're in an age, we're moving into an age, I should say, where one-to-one no longer has to mean you give every kid a laptop. Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about, some of the different options, and um, and we'll talk a, a little bit specifically about the way we've done it here at the school uh, where Sean and I work. We have uh, a, what we believe is a novel solution. Uh, there aren't a lot of other schools, if any, uh, doing what we do. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and how uh, what may not seem tightwad uh, at the outset really is, and uh, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. How was that? That was a really long rambling introduction. It was, but you know what? That's all right. I think we're going to ramble a little bit today. <laughs> it's, this is a topic that's hard to encapsulate in a couple of sentences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was just proud that you got the 2011 right on the first try. Did I say 2011 or 2011? Yeah, you said, said, well, I'm not sure about that, but versus 2010. Well, because I was reading. Yeah, you said 2011, I think. Because I was reading. I don't don't think. (laughs) I just read. Very good. Very good. So, Sean, what's the first item you want to mention First today? item up for bid. Uh, well, I just wanted to talk about the snow that we got because, uh, it, and I think it's funny. I, I was thinking about talking about this. We recently, was it Saturday? Saturday Sun- we got the... Sunday. Sunday we got the big snowstorm. and uh, the, the great blizzard of tw- 2011. Right. I mean, the whole state of Texas shut down uh, for this. And uh, I don't know. At my house, I got about eight inches, which is more than I've ever seen. Um but uh, uh, it was more know, than you've ever seen in Texas. In Texas, right. certainly. Yeah, uh, I did some time growing up in in Colorado, and uh, definitely saw a lot more snow there. But just thought it was worth a mention because it's such a rare occasion for us. You know, we're usually uh, we're the people running sixty days of a hundred degree plus weather, and right. uh, uh, got the snow. And I know you did, and I did, and get the kids out in it and right. just have a good old time. And that's part of the reason we're recording this. Uh, on those of you watching the live stream, we're recording on Tuesday instead of Monday. Um, we we weren't here Monday because um, it was uh, perilous, perilous to travel. It really, yeah. it really wasn't all that perilous, but uh, um, we Texas folk don't know how to drive on ice, and I'll include myself in that. I don't know how to drive on ice um, because it's you know it's one of those things that happens once a year, maybe twice if we're really lucky. So I was at home and uh, we were playing out in the yard, and uh, often when we get snow. It's an inch or maybe two, and we have just enough, barely enough to cover right, everything. We have enough to build one dirty leaf-covered snowman about three <laughs> feet tall in the front yard. But my kids made three snowmen over the last couple of days, and of uh, fairly good size. We actually have the uh, the whole family. I have three daughters, and they they modeled themselves in snow. And okay, they're, they're actually wearing like their bicycle helmets and 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 <laughs> their own clothing. It's it's interesting, but anyway. Enough about that. Those of you who live in, you know, Montana or Canada or uh, Alaska or the Netherlands, you're you're laughing at us right now. But hey, for us, this was a big deal. 
Absolutely. We, we got yeah. about five inches of snow, and that was a big deal. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, and actually we had talked about this. I don't know, was it last show or maybe a couple episode. shows? Uh, the alt key dialing on BlackBerry. Mark, you figured this out because uh, you said it worked, and then it didn't work right there on the show. and then Right. Well, yeah, before we... After we went off the air, uh, a couple of guys, I said, if you hold the alt key and dial like, uh, uh, 1-800-ABCDEFG, if you, if you hold the alt key and dial ABCDEFG, I said it would put the numbers in. So after we went off the air, a couple of, uh, people in the chat room, uh, tried it and it didn't work. They typed in, um, ABCDEFG and the letters ABCDEFG showed up. But when you click send, Trust me on this one. When you click send, it dials the right numbers. So if right. you have to dial uh, 1-800-Flowers, just punch in 1-800-Flowers and hold the alt key and actually type those letters in. Because if you don't hold the alt key, if you're on a key that shares it with a number, you'll get the number. So that's where the alt key is important. Right. So you hold the alt key and you get the word flower there. When you hit send, it actually dials the pro- the, the numbers that go with the letters. Well, and we tested that on my phone and it, it right. worked just fine. So so my, my integrity was questioned. My geek credibility <laughs> came into question. And I'm just, uh, I'm here to defend myself. I was originally right, just not as right as I like to be oh how wrong we were mark you are truly a geek <laughs> all right uh so uh so uh, i wanted to move on to a, a bit of listener email a fellow named george has been sending us uh lots of email lately and i think we mentioned him uh a couple of shows back uh he's one of those guys who found the show uh I'm, if I had to guess, I'd say from the uh, 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 from the fog site because that's how everybody seems to. Um, so anyway, he uh, he found us and he's gone back to episode zero and has been listening all the way through and and he sends us email based on where he is and uh, uh, so he was at uh, episode eighteen I think and uh, uh, we were talking about. Google Apps or Gmail. It was something Google related. And I made the comment that regarding, uh, like folders versus files versus, uh, tags, that it's just better to do things the Google way. And he called me on it and said that that sounded very much like something an Apple fanboy would say, that you just do it the Apple way and, and move on. Um, in my defense, what I was saying was if you're using a Google product, it really is best to do things the Google way. Because they wrote the product. For example, uh, the design of the product. If you're using right. a hammer and you hold the metal part and hit the rubber part on the nail, it's not going to work as well as if you used it in the, the manner in which it was designed. It will work, but it won't work as well as it was designed to use. So my point is, do things the way the designer intended them to be used. However, Sean had an interesting point about that. Well, yeah, I just kind of thought that that was uh, not really an Apple's... Oh, gosh. Uh, I always do that when we're talking about Apple. Apples to Apples comparison. <laughs> but uh, because let's look at one thing like folders, okay? So, uh, you know, people, when they're doing email and stuff, they they love to have folders, right? That's what Outlook did and everything. And people are used to, in Windows, compartmentalizing everything into folders. So uh, Google didn't, you know, have folders originally. What It had labels, I think it is. And uh, so you were supposed to do labels, and then that was supposed to give you some sort of organization organizational structure and, and searching capability and everything. And uh, I know we went through this when we first went to, uh, to the Google goodness. Uh, people had a hard time wrapping their mind around that. Well, the difference between Google and Apple is that Google said, okay, we hear you. You're, you're not getting the whole labels thing. 
we'll put folders in there. So they put folders in there basically just to appease everybody. Uh, Apple's not going to do that. Apple's going to sit there and say they're labels people. And that's all that's, that's it. That's what you get. That's how you're going to like it. And that's it. Uh, and to refer to your hammer reference there, uh, they would just say, uh, nope, you're going to hit it with the, the rubber part. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how you do it. So, uh, so there is a difference there. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I pointed okay. that out. Yeah. So, you know, I just, the last two items were me def- saying that I'm not wrong, you know, and this is the important thing <laughs> that I'm not wrong. No, uh, I just wanted to make sure we hadn't miscommunicated that. Um, and, and, you know, if I sounded like a Google fanboy, that's okay. I admit that I am one. Oh, sure. Um, and, and it's okay to be a fanboy. Right. And I've also, yeah. I've also been accused of, of being a PC snob over a Mac. Yes, I am. I admit that freely. I think PCs are better than Macs and in most ways. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, we're just admitting our biases and moving on. But, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to leave out there that impression that I might be, uh, dualistic in my thinking. Um, you use things the way in which they are designed to be used. Right. So anyway. And, and thanks to, uh, George, it was, I think, right? Is this right. Yeah. George. Hey, George, thank you. Uh, thank you for that anyways, because any kind of input is good. And, uh, we want our, uh, our fellow tightwads out there to, you know, keeping us honest. Yeah. Keep That's our, important. hold our feet to the fire. So if you think we're, we're saying something, cause it's very, very likely, probably more likely in my case that, uh, <laughs> I might actually be yeah. duplicitous. The day that we're recording this, another, uh, news item that I want to throw out there, the day that we're recording this, uh, Verizon made their big announcement that the iPhone is now coming to Verizon. So all you iPhone users out there who've been whining and moaning and complaining about AT&T for the last three years can all run out and pay another $500 for another iPhone on Verizon. Yay. Okay, enough about that story. (laughs) But in other Apple-related news... Right. Uh, I guess, okay, I'll kick this off. Uh, This came across in an email to us... uh, and it was talking about uh, how VLC was pulled from the Apple App Store. And uh, uh, kind of interesting, uh, the, the article came out on ZDNet.com and uh, talks about uh, just basically why this had to happen. And uh, apparently uh, Apple's terms of service uh, conflict with GPL licensing. Uh, basically it kind of adds a layer over the top of it that really doesn't work with GPL licensing. It puts restrictions on it. And, uh, the, the particular license was the GPL, uh, version two. And, uh, uh, Apple's official stance is that you open source software doesn't exist in the app store. Well, but, no, no, let's, let's be correct about that. Apple didn't pull the, the app. Uh, just, just a little, uh, background. VLC is a, a media player, uh, video land client. Uh, right. we, we recommend it heavily, uh, heartily on, on all, any platform on the, uh, on the, the, the Linux desktop, uh, on the Windows desktop, on the Mac. Um, it's a great tool and it had been available on the iPad, uh, up until just, uh, couple of days ago the reason it was pulled was um a request made to apple apple didn't right from one of the say developers. hey it needs to come come down somebody else 
said uh, this is in violation of the license agreement and needs to come down. So Apple hasn't officially made a stand saying, you know, we, there will be no uh, open source apps. It's just in this case, um, this app has been requested to, to be taken down. And, and well, I no, think- I, I got I to jump in there, though, because the way I read it in the article is that they their terms of service actually do exclude open source software. But they don't actively police it is essentially what's been going on. Okay. Well, I, I'll, I'll stipulate that. But the interesting thing is here, I'm as, as big a freedom, uh, uh, fighter as I am, I think it was right and appropriate that the, uh, VLC app was taken down. Um, VLC is under a particular license, and one of those licenses says that you may not restrict distribution. It has to be freely distributed, uh, by all channels. The Apple App Store does not do that. Uh, when you download something, you only get uh, your one copy, and you cannot give that to somebody else who has an iPad. Right. The terms of service limit your ability uh, to uh, distribute it. Not only the terms of service, but the, the technology itself. Well, that's true. Uh, now, I can say, hey, this is a great app. Go download it, but I can't pass it on. So the the technical limitations as well as the legal limitations, the the, the uh, um, I don't know about legal, the, the user agreement limitations uh, say that, that apps cannot be freely redistributed once they're picked up from the iTunes store. So it was appropriate that VLC and other apps whose licenses require free distribution be pulled down. Now, I like uh, uh, VLC. I I want to use VLC. Um, I downloaded it on my iPad previously, so I have it. But if at any point... I need to to wipe my iPad or whatever. It goes away and I don't get it. And so as a user, I'm not happy about that. But as one who is somewhat uh, uh, obstinate about doing the right thing, it was appropriate that it be pulled down. And any other GPL stuff that's out there, the GPL license is incompatible with Apple Terms of Service. Those two can't go together. One of them is going to have to change if they're going to coexist. Right, and... uh I don't know. Is it VNC that they're using on the iPad to remote into? Yeah, there is a VNC client available. Yes, uh, but it's it's only the uh, the the client side, not the server side. Okay, you can't share your v your your um, iPad with a VNC. You can't VNC into an iPad, which is what I think a lot of people would like to do. But you can use your iPad to control another computer. But that would be another example of a software that, I mean, right. if you don't have it, if you have an iPad and you might want it, you might want to go ahead and download right. it now. Because uh, as far, I don't know, I'm not sure what the license for VNC specifically is, but if it's GPL version 1, 2, or 3, it's got to go. If it's a BSD license or, or a, a Apache, maybe, maybe okay. I know the BSD license would be because it pretty much has no restrictions on it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to look into. Um, and it's going to come to roost as this, this device is more popular and, uh, um, and, and other devices like it. Uh, Android, uh, being, uh, that, let's talk about that interesting. The, the Android OS, um, that's a reason a lot of apps, in the Android OS are free, whereas they would be paid in the uh, uh, iPad. For example, uh, Angry Birds um, is a free app on the Android ad-supported. It's a paid app on the iPad not ad-supported. But there is no way to effectively restrict distribution on the Android platform. Any geek who knows what they're doing, once they get it, can give it away. 
So that's right. why if you sell an app on the uh, the Android system, you have to have some sort of uh, you know uh, device based Mac ID checking or something like that, uh, or you're probably just going to get your app. Uh, Stolen because you know there are geeks out there with with both the capacity and the uh, uh, moral compunction to just go right ahead and right ahead and, and do that. Now I, I'm kind of curious, uh, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm really curious. Uh, I I know you said you agree with that, but there needs to be a fix on one one side or the other, obviously. Um, or or do you even think that? But I, and if so, on what side? I mean, is it the GPL guys that need to re- rewrite that? Or uh, I know we can't compel Apple to put anything in their store, but it just it gets back to one of the things I don't like about Apple is that they're so restrictive. And uh, you know, or, or should it, in a perfect world, be Apple's responsibilities to get behind free software and uh, open source software and and support it? Well, I'm sort of your classic free market capitalist. I think that you you let the market work it out. And if if people are happy with the restrictions of Apple, then Apple's going to do just fine. And that seems to be the case. For the last, you know, 20 years, they've been getting by just fine being a very restricted environment and nobody seems to care except for the Apple bashers a la Sean, who, <laughs> who never pay them a dime and who vilify them. And that's fine. You're, you don't represent lost revenue. You were never right. going to buy their product anyway. Well, and hold your ears, everyone, but I, I will defend them, uh, here in that, uh, that software that's free. And I don't know if you can do just a free app, but I mean, they are paying for some bandwidth there. So, you know. I, you know, I, I understand it's their, it's their thing. It's their service that they're offering to everybody. So I don't know. It doesn't really twist me quite as much just because, you know, that's their thing. They set it up and, uh, you know, they're dealing with the bandwidth issues. I'm assuming it's not like a, it's not like any kind of peer to peer thing going on. No, no, it's just a download app. Right. Exactly. So, you know, uh, that I can I can take that in stride. I mean, I, I one sort of, the, of one of the things it. I find interesting about it is that they didn't remove the uh, the device from the app from the existing devices. They simply took it out of the store. Now Apple has that ability to reach in and and take your data off your iPad, your your apps. Uh, they they have d- demonstrated that remote kill switch in the past. They chose not to do that in this case. They simply removed it from the store. Right. So uh, I don't know what that says, but I do find it uh, an interesting element. Um, if Apple were as draconian as people often say they are, they probably would have obliterated all uh, instances of it. Yeah, that, that's the one interesting thing is the way that this played out is it really wasn't – Apple wasn't the big bad boy in this. They didn't initiate that. Uh, from the way I read it, it is really it was kind of an idiot on the project team <laughs> that initiated it because even the other project team members were not really happy with the fact that he initiated that. It, it really all comes down to the Free Software Foundation, the Richard Stallman zealots out there who uh, who want everything to be every I dotted and every T crossed and. I, I, we need them in the world. I, I can't, as, as much as I don't like them and as much as I think that they often harm the the cause of open source rather than help it, we need people like that. And so, uh, you know, they're just doing their job. He was, uh, he was manning the license and making sure everything is done right. Now, right. if you ask how do we fix this or, or what's the solution, um, uh, use a different license. Uh, uh, I, I 
the GPL uh, the really sort of began uh, the the wide birth of of open source uh, develop of spreading around the world. It, it was sort of the the powerhouse, but I think it is very restrictive, and that's why there's a GPL one and a GPL two, and now a GPL three. It's been uh, the restrictions have been lessened on it over over the years, but there are other licenses uh, out there. There's you know the Creative Commons license or the BSD license or the Apache Foundation license. There, each one has different rules. So if the VLC guys wanted to have their app out there, they could change the license, which means they would have to go to every developer who would ever put code in it and get them to sign off on changing the license. It's a big deal. Right. Uh, some some apps have done that in the past, some projects. Um, but, yeah, that you ask what has to be done, that's it. Uh, either Apple has to change their terms, uh, which they're never going to do. They're not going to allow people to freely redistribute things downloaded from their store. That would be suicide for their business model. Um, and so the only alternative is to change the license. Yeah. So there we go. That's that's some, some uber geek stuff and some, some legal stuff. But interesting, just a uh, uh, sign of the times. You know, that uh, this closed world of Apple and the open world of open source are colliding. Often, you know, for years they've been sort of uh, existing in parallel. And um, oftentimes people were even unaware that open source existed. This is one of those great things where um, the the everyday casual user has now had this impact him uh, directly. And, and so I think it'll be interesting. Absolutely. Okay. All right, so that's uh, that's it for the warm up. Are we ready to I get into we'll some heavy content? Uh, so yeah, we'll just talk about uh, just the just one to one in general. Uh, the idea being that uh, you know one one laptop per child. You have a kid, you have or one, <laughs> you said one, it even. one computer per child, <laughs> and and I'd said the one laptop because that's the big project. But right. um, a lot of schools have looked at. Uh, uh, um, different uh computing devices over the years i myself uh, years ago was a big proponent of the uh palm uh by oh, brand yeah, yeah. palm device and uh, those were uh inexpensive far less expensive than computers uh i could give uh five kids uh, a palm uh m100 for example for the cost of one laptop uh or or more and so uh i looked at that as being an option but there you know there are issues there the the and it's the same issues that we've talked about with the iPad uh, in the past is is what do you want your kids to do with their devices? Do you want them to create or do you want them con- to consume? Yeah. And so uh, for the last at least easily 10 years, maybe even 20 years, uh, one-to-one has meant give a kid a laptop. Um, and that's that's kind of the standard. Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost interchangeable now. People like like saying Coke means get me a soda, right? I mean, when you hear in educational circles, people talk about one-to-one, it's almost assumed that you're talking about laptops. Right. And now iPads are kind of coming into that discussion as uh, as one-to-one. But uh, we have a different way of looking at that yeah. as well, or a third option. Right. Well, you know, an option that is that is less uh, explored. So just to run down, uh, you know, we mentioned laptops or netbooks. A netbook is just a smaller underpowered laptop. So I'm, I'm even throwing that out. That doesn't count. A laptop is a netbook. A netbook is a laptop. Um, and then there's thin client options where you can uh, uh, set kids up at uh, these inexpensive dumb terminals. Uh, the, those are not portable usually. They're, uh, uh, they're desktop devices, but they're inexpensive and uh, they run uh, a desktop OS. And we're actually very big proponents of thin clients. Use them uh, a lot here uh, um, 
where we work to uh, extend the life of hardware because uh, it doesn't take much. Uh, there's there are big companies. Uh, Wise W I S E is one that. Uh, uh, their whole business is making these dumb terminals that they're, they're just a display and a mouse and a keyboard and just enough processor, uh, to, to connect to process back to, the video and the, yeah, yeah to connect back, back to the, to the server. And that's a great way to do things and it's inexpensive. Uh, and of course now we're looking at iPads or, or, um, you know, Android devices or, uh, what is it? The Indian government has come up with. They, they've written, designed their own, right. uh, slate device that they say will cost, uh, less than a hundred dollars each. Um, one to one is becoming a big issue here and it's finally meaning more than just laptops. In our school, uh, where, where Sean and I work, um, and, and we're, we're always somewhat careful not to mention the name because we want to, uh, distinguish, uh, this podcast, this is our project. Project It's something we do. It's not officially endorsed by our employers. So I'm not going to say the name of the school um, just because for that reason. It's not that they don't know we're doing it. They do know. They support it. But they don't endorse us, so we're not going to mention them. But the school where I work is, is doing a, a relatively novel uh, thing. And it's um, without sounding... Uh, I'm Self-serving? Trying, yeah, I'm trying to sound as <laughs> I'm trying to be as modest as possible. But this was a system I designed, basically, uh, and I'll, I'll just kind of walk through uh, the steps of of how it came up. We were building a new high school. Uh, we haven't had a new building in in uh, a while. The, the high school we were in was a uh, a public works project built uh, during the depression uh so it was that old and and it was time to to build some new infrastructure and and uh, Texas had some uh tax law changes that go into effect and it was the it was the right time to do it so as we were looking at building this new school, we were looking at, uh, what are our technology needs? What is, uh, and we had, uh, we had all of our teachers in the room, uh, with the architect and, and with, uh, uh, the superintendent and the principals and, and I was in there and, um, and we said, well, what do we need here? And at the time we had, uh, three computer labs. We had uh, two, uh, dedicated computer labs and a library that we had put a bunch of computers in. And the two, the, the two labs were pretty much full with our technology applications and our business computer. And they were pretty much full all the time. And, and, and we're a relatively small school. We have about 25 teachers. And so two teachers were pretty much uh, monopolizing those two labs all the time. So the other 20 or so teachers had to share one, uh, lab and they had to rotate themselves in. And so the, one of the, we're, we're talking about the high school only high school uh, yeah, only yeah. yeah, at this high school. And so the, the resounding chorus was we need more computer labs. And so it's like, you know, I don't know if anybody has, has ever done this out there, but when you're uh, doing a project like that, you design uh, caviar and champagne and crystal chandeliers <laughs> at the beginning and then you serve up bratwurst and beer uh, at the end. But, yeah. But you shoot for the moon at the beginning, and then you figure out what you can pay for later. And so they said, we need five labs, um, realistically, to be able to use to to get over things uh, these things in here. We want, uh, uh, you know, no more than four or five teachers per lab, and and we can make that work. And which so, is pretty common, I think, for most school districts. They look at that type of a ratio they right. try to achieve. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of schools out there that. Uh, that are happy to have a lab, you know, or maybe don't even have a lab. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's kind of, uh, for some people, it's blowing their minds to think that uh, a class, uh, a school with only 25 uh, teachers would want five labs. But again, that's what they ask for. And so that's what we set out to try to, to create. 
And so I started looking at uh, some of the options. Of course, my mind uh, immediately went to laptops as well. But we have uh, have done quite a few laptop deployments in our school uh, over the last 10 years. And laptops just suck for schools. That That's my story my story and i'm sticking to it absolutely Um, and and we can talk about why they're not durable they're not designed to be durable i i was just talking to sean earlier today my uh personal laptop is almost two years old i bought it in april uh, a year ago so this april three months from now it'll be two years old and it's mine i'm a you know i'm a technology professional i'm an adult Uh, i take care of my stuff but even it is the the little power jack there where where you plug it in is coming loose and now i have to jiggle the wire just right to get it to charge and and that's just been you know me carrying it around in my bag or or using it on the couch Uh, these sort of things happen and it's only two years old um so we put these yeah. things in the hands of kids, in the hands of you know uh, a fourteen-year-old, and and these ridiculous things that I've seen schools do is they tend to say a five to seven-year lifespan on this laptop that they're going to give to a fifteen-year-old ain't going to happen. Right? Uh, yeah, especially something that they're checking out and taking home. I mean, right. we're lucky to see five years out of a laptop uh if it stays in a cart in a classroom and the teacher's a really good teacher and really takes care of the technology right uh but if it's uh in a kid's hand and it's going home every night and uh i'd I'd love to see where somebody started off with a a classroom cart or 25 laptops and issued them out and uh those 25 lasted five to seven years 25 came back every year there's no way um and even if the laptops do manage to last that long the batteries won't so you're looking at replacing batteries every couple of years or just then you have to plug them in and they're no longer mobile anymore. So, uh, you know, and, and we're just now getting to the thing where you have some laptops that can last a full school day. But, you know, again, this was five years ago we were looking at this planning. And at that time, there just they just weren't any laptops that would make it through a full day without a charge. Now, right. sure, manufacturers would say they were, but that's with the screen at 50% brightness and the wireless turned off and not using the CD-ROM or the wireless. Oh, I said the wireless. Um and that's just not how we use it. And the way we actually use netbooks or laptops with uh, uh, data going back and forth across the network, saving files to the hard drive, uploading, downloading, uh, screens at full brightness because they're in a bright room, batteries just don't last all day. So then you got to figure out a way to charge them. Uh, and again, we're, we're getting a generation of netbooks that are starting to solve that problem. But at the time, there just weren't anything on the market that could do that. Um, they're going to cost twice as much as, as say a desktop alternative. Um, you know, a laptop is going to cost you a thousand bucks. Um, a, a, a desktop is going to cost you 500 bucks. Those are, those are exaggerated numbers. You can get laptops cheaper and, and desktops are going to cost more, but that's, you know, a rough ratio. Let's say, let's say three to two is maybe a better well, ratio. Well, for, uh, if it's comparative, horsepower right. i think is really the point because yeah you could go anywhere you can uh you can pay three thousand dollars for a desktop if, if you wanted to you know and uh and 300 for a, a laptop it just depends but uh comparative hardware comparative performance uh, that yeah. sounds about right we'll say you know three laptops for the cost of uh, three desktops for the cost of two laptops i think we're safe saying that but then here was the kicker for us. We're, we're a poor district in a rural area, uh, full of, of, of poor students. Uh, over 80% of our students, uh, are qualified under the government and state guidelines as being, uh, low socioeconomic status. It means they're poor folks. So only 20% of our kids have any money. Right. Um, and so if we give these kids a laptop, uh, and send them on their way, once they get home, they're not going to have internet access. 
So what what good is that laptop really? Now you can do some things with it, right? You can still type a paper, sure, and you can do some offline things. But for more and more, uh, particularly, you know, we've we've recently moved to Google Apps, right? That kid is is now totally out of luck, right? Because well, he, if he's, he's certainly at a disadvantage to his peers, right? And I think that's a that's a common conversation that's being had in education circles now is that uh, so you further broaden the gap. Right. So even if you give a kid a laptop, you've got to give him internet access or make sure he has it. And, and our, uh, uh, internal polls show that, uh, 50 to, 40 to 50 percent of our kids, uh, have internet access at home. Uh, 70 percent have access to internet somewhere. So being their family, you know, their great aunt Tilly or whatever, uh, 70 percent of our kids have access to the internet at all. The other 30 percent have it at school or the public library downtown and that's it. Uh, so, it didn't make a lot of sense to spend a lot of money giving these kids computers that they're going to send home. We're going to send home with them that until we can reach that last mile and, and we're not prepared to be an ISP, you know, we, we just can't do that and set up wireless things and, and be an internet service provider. So for our uh, purposes, laptops simply weren't an option. Other schools are doing it. Other schools uh, uh, are, are having great success. It just didn't work for us. So here's what we looked at. Five computer labs with desktop computers in each. The construction cost alone, just building the brick and mortar uh, at our cost was going to be about uh, $700,000 uh, to build those five labs. That didn't count the computers that we were putting in them or the furniture that we were going to put in them. Uh, yeah, just four walls and a door. Right. Right. Now, we're building a building anyway. So this is bond money. We had a, a you know, a, a 10 or $12 million bond. Uh, now you, you can argue with that, but we're, yes, we were borrowing money to buy these computers, but we were building rooms anyway. So what we did was we took every classroom and made it a lab. There are no labs at our school. There are no classrooms at our school. They're all both labs and classrooms. So we built this building with uh, about 26 or so rooms in it. Each one is a lab. Uh, I worked with a, a custom furniture design company and, and we designed a desk uh, based on a, on a pre-existing model with a, a flip top design. And you've probably seen those in magazines and, and at trade shows now where the, the desk sits down in it and it opens up and it flips up. That's that's the design we came up with. They're now marketing it, and other companies have, have started doing it. There were some models that existed that were close to it, but not quite the same. The the glass top ones, or uh, one company had the one that pops up right. uh, that was uh, on a hydraulic uh, thing. And, and there were issues with that. One of the teachers said, what if I'm leaning over helping a student out, and, and he decides to push that button, it pops up and gives me a bloody nose? I hadn't really thought about that, but right. you take a classroom teacher and show them that piece of equipment, and they that's what they come up with. Uh, so uh, working with this uh, manufacturer, we designed these special desks. Now, I'm just going to sort of gloss over the numbers here because this is this is radio, this is audio, and, and um, numbers don't really translate well to it. But in the end, after we custom designed the desks, and bought the the computers to put on it, which at the time were the the most modern machines we could buy. They were uh, multi core machines within reason, right? Multi core right. machines with uh, a seventeen inch flat panel monitor and and two gigs of RAM. At the time, they were the industry standard, not the best you could buy, but uh, they were certainly very good machines. And so, by the time we had done all that, put those in, paid for the 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 specialized desks, put all the software on them that we had on it, we saved over almost $60,000 over just the cost of having built those five big rooms to put computers in. 
Right, because instead of 25 or 26 rooms, we would have needed to build 30 31, or, right, yeah. because we were building, we were building more uh, rooms. And so right. just the brick and mortar would have cost us more than it cost to put those in there. So if this failed miserably and we never can't, we, we can't sustain this uh, technology initiative, um, we saved money and we got really nice desks. Right. So that's like the, the worst case scenario. Of of this system that we came up with here is is uh, we saved money and got really nice furniture. Uh, the furniture has a lifetime warranty, not a thirty year warranty, not a ten year warranty. Lifetime, for as long as that company is in business, they will repair these desks for us. Right, um, because this Which is they those are the most sturdy desks I've ever they, seen. Yeah, they're I mean, you can park solid. a car on top of those things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we did a, a little town hall meeting. I, for those of you who haven't seen me on the the live feed uh, or just listening audio, I'm a I'm a large man. Um, I'm about six foot five and I weigh over 400 pounds. I'm a big guy. Uh, so we were having a little, uh, uh, town hall type meeting and an old farmer raised his hand and said, how sturdy are those desks? I climbed up on top of one and did a little dance for him and said, now I'm heavier than anything you're ever going to put on this desk. Yes. And if it can handle me, I think it can handle a backpack being put on it. So these are really uh, high quality desks made of real wood and, and, you know, an inch and a half of real wood. And, uh, so, um, so worst case scenario, if all this fails, we got that and we saved money. So this is the tightwad way to do high tech. All right. Right. Uh, so we built an infrastructure that has a, a gigabit backbone and, and I was stunned at how little it cost to put, uh, we did 32 network drops in every classroom. Now, not every classroom has 32 desks in it, but we were building out to the future. And, and by the time we put all the switches and all the, 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 the category six E wiring in, uh, category six, E wasn't around then, uh, category six wiring in, by the time we did all of that, um, that all of that counts, the, that cost of the, we still saved money. So it was amazing to me how inexpensive it is to wire building while you're building it. Cause I had always looked at cost of, of hiring somebody to come in and put wires to, in an existing building. And that's very expensive. Well, and that, that's a good point to bring up is that, uh, what we're describing here is not necessarily the best option given any situation. Um, that if you're, uh, we, we were happening to do uh, new construction and it, it worked out uh, just the way you're describing it. Uh, we have talked with people in the past who are interested in it and we've had people come and take a look at our school. And, uh, uh, if you've got existing, an existing building and you want to go in and do something like what we did, uh, there, the, the costs, involved were, are going to be more. Now, I'm kind of curious. I'd love to see somebody do it. And I'd love to hear back from a, a district that actually did that is I still suspect that it's going to be a little bit cheaper. This summer we replicated, uh, to a lesser extent, the same setup in, uh, one of our classrooms at the middle school that the, we wanted to turn this classroom into a class lab based on the success that we'd ha- had here at the high school. We wanted to extend that out. We had a teacher who was willing to, uh, to, to basically be our guinea pig. And, um, Sean and I and our, uh, unskilled labor helper, right. uh, that we have, <laughs> um, did her room in a day. The furniture was, I'm going to say five or six thousand dollars total. It was, uh, it was lower quality furniture than what we put in, but still, still good stuff. Better than the, uh, uh, cafeteria desks you buy at Sam's warehouse. Right. Uh, which is what the other lab is using. You know, that's, that's what they're on. So, uh, uh, so for a cost, I'm going to say, uh, I'm making this up because I don't know for sure, but I'm saying about $12,000 compute, uh, in, 
including the cost of the computers. Uh, we built this lab with uh, 24 computers in it right. in the same setup, in a pre-existing setup. And I think there's a, a really good point to make there, too, is uh, there's no need for a contractor to wire, uh, to wire a classroom. Right. Um, I, I understand there's some school districts out there, and their, their tech department consists of a, a teacher who knows computers really well. Uh, and, and this doesn't apply to you. I mean, if you're that situation, you've never wired a, a classroom or anything like that. But uh, even then, quite honestly, if you are that guy or gal, uh, you could google for about an hour and you're going to learn what you need to know to to wire a classroom and then you get uh you know a couple of uh unskilled laborers or uh you know students uh or however you want to do it uh but uh wiring classroom is not hard and if you're in the know if you're tech guys like us uh you really i mean shame on you for looking at for paying people to do it. Right. Now, we had an electrician come in and do the electrical work because neither of us are qualified to do that, and our local code doesn't allow unskilled people to do it. I mean, I could have run the wire probably. I've done it around my house, you know, and so is Sean out in the barn, whatever. We could probably do it, but we had an electrician come in, put in the breakers that were necessary, and we did all that right, and that was some expense, but uh, not as much as I was expecting. Right. And then we ran the wires, and we uh, – we. Did a home run back to the, uh, the main switch room and then we put a switch in the room. Not the ideal way to do it, but we got it up high. It's, 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 uh, mounted up there. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not bothering anybody. And then we ran all the wires up to it. So for not a lot of money, uh, we did this and we're looking at, at, uh, moving this model down to the rest of our, our, uh, um, schools you know we built the high school we built it in at our high school but we're looking at expanding that out to our middle school and our elementary as well um, it doesn't scale quite as well at elementary elementary uses physical space differently uh, than middle school and high school they're much more about manipulatives and moving around and and that sort of thing but we do have a couple of teachers who are wanting to try it and we're going to we're going to figure out a way to do it. If they want it, we're going to figure out a way to do it. That's the way we see our job here. We're enablers. Right. Uh, we're not blockers. We, we don't tell them what they can't do. They tell us what they want and we figure out a way to make it happen. Now, there are some things we're worried about. And so, uh, you know, we'll just be honest about that. Um, we bought a large fleet of computers, uh, about 500 computers all at one time, which means they're going to die all at one time. All right. And so we're worried about the ability to replace those. We bought them with our bond money. We don't want, we can't sustain, uh, bonds every few years. Right. But using the Taiwan techniques that we talk about on this show, uh, we routinely get 10 years out of hardware. Another reason desktops are better. They're going to last 10 years. Physically, they're going to hold up. Right. Uh, we're, along the way, we're going to, we're going to replace a hard drive here and there and, uh, motherboards and, you know, all the in- internal components. Uh, but, we're finding that I got to imagine that it's probably going to get better. Uh, but we are dealing with computers now that are in some places in the district, seven to 10 years old. Right. And, uh, and it's pop a new hard drive in when the hard drive dies or, you know, and, uh, thanks to fog, you pop the hard drive in and image it and we've got it back in service, you know, 15 minutes later. And as more and more things move to the cloud, the, the amount of processing power at the local machine becomes less important. And so we're finding we can extend the life of these machines using these, uh, cloud tools. Now, I, I'm not going to be able to load uh, uh, Adobe. Um, uh, what's that software? Premiere. Now, the the one that 
the Creative Studio oh, the CS5 Creative Suite. Yeah. We're not going to be able to load that on there um, on these machines. It's never going to happen. But using uh, um, open uh, cloud-based and open source tools, and, and some of those machines have now, uh, they can't even handle modern Windows, so they're running Linux. All right, and then we go back to the thin clients that we were talking about earlier. We have a, a hybrid machine that uh, that I came up with several years ago that uh, runs uh, Puppy Linux just long enough to get to the terminal server, just like these wise terminals I was talking about. That's all they do. Well, that's all my machines do, but they do it using Linux instead of uh, some expensive uh, proprietary software. They just load up uh, Puppy Linux, and it runs on you know very low uh, resource hardware. It connects to the server, and they get full sound, full video, and and wonky local disk access. They can pop a CD in and make it work, sort of, uh, but it, it does work if they need it. Uh, so there are uh, there are ways that we do that using our Taiwan techniques that we we expect to be able to extend the life of these machines for a decade. Right. But they will also have to be, we'll, we're going to have to replace some of them. We, you know, in our, uh, our class that does teach the video editing, where they do use Creative Suite, we're going to have to replace those machines. Uh, we can't extend those so far. We have a, a CAD uh, a class where they do uh, computer-aided drafting and design. That's going to have to be replaced. We can't continue to extend the life of the machines in those uh, places. But our, our Spanish teacher, uh, where she does, you know, mostly Google Docs and her uh, Spanish uh, flash-based tutorials, she's going to be fine there. We're probably not going to have to replace those machines anytime soon. Right. Uh, but when we look at replacing these, we're looking at refurbs. Uh, we've we've done uh, uh, this the rollout that I was talking about at the middle school. We bought ninety uh, computers this summer. They were all refurbs. We paid less than five hundred dollars a piece for a full-on uh, computer, and they came with a three-year warranty from Dell. Uh, so that's definitely something to look at. Um, we've been looking at the possibility of leasing machines. Um, I'm still not sure the economics of that stand up, but those are the things that we're going to look at. And so, that, that, you know, we're just talking about some of our um, things that we see coming down the road that might be a problem based on this this model. And, and one of the probably the biggest uh, thing that um, is a negative of this situation is the kids can't take the technology with them. They have to be here to do it. But I addressed that earlier in that that last mile issue. Most of our kids wouldn't get the full benefit out of it anyway. So what Right. we do is we just open the place up and you see kids up here uh, all hours of day and night and and they're in the labs and they're in the classrooms and uh and we just you know there's somebody here right uh we we have a cleaning crew or you know we, there's there's always going to be somebody here or, or they'll work with their teachers and and the the teachers yeah, will make agree to come in for early that time right and and we just uh, we just let them use the stuff uh, as as much as they want to, we've as far as I know, we've never told a kid no. You can't come in and use the computers. Uh, we find a way to make it happen. So again, instead of bridging that last mile, we bring them to us as much as possible. Whew, that Which was is a lot. Yeah, and that's probably a better environment to be learning in, anyways. I mean, you know, if you're uh, if you're 14 years old and you've got this laptop and you got to take it home and uh, you've got your little brother tugging at your ear and mom saying come eat dinner and and you're well instead of working on my paper I'm gonna surf YouTube for a while and uh, but coming up here being in a in a learning environment and uh, I, I would tend to think that you're going to be a little bit more focused on the task at hand anyway so uh i i found that for myself i'm e right. easily distracted so uh yeah all right so that's just our our overview 
of of one to one. It's not exhaustive in any way, and I ran through a lot of bullet points in a in a in a short period of time. And there's probably people out there yelling at their uh, devices about how stupid I am for whatever reason. Um, let us know uh, how am I stupid? If if you would have done it differently, or you think I'm a moron for doing it this way, uh, let me know because this is uh, you know like I said, we have concerns about it, but this was what our community, our stakeholders, our administration thought was a good thing to do. And it's working. Uh, uh, we've, we've been in the school long enough now to have results. Our, our test scores are way up. Student involvement is way up. Uh, vandalism is way down. Discipline issues are way down. And, uh, it's not entirely because of the system I designed, but it certainly plays a part in it. Certainly, certainly. Well, and there's, uh, with reference to, to uh, discipline, sometimes you get some uh, new and unique discipline issues that you have to deal with as well when you have a kid in front of a computer in every classroom. Right. Uh, but, uh, and that's been a learning experience and it's been fun actually. So. So okay, that's uh that's there. Um, uh, we'll we'll leave that subject for now. I, I look forward to the feedback on this episode. I hope that you will let us know. Uh, send us email at podcast at thetightwadtech dot com. Uh, visit our website. Make a forum posting at thetightwadtech dot com. Uh, find us on Twitter or Facebook. Twitter dot com slash thetightwadtech. Facebook dot com slash thetightwadtech. I know you're tired of me did, saying this did, all the time. Did but, you get the phone number? But I have to. You? Uh, you leave us a voicemail <laughs> at our Google Voice number at five three zero frugal two. That's F R U G A L two. The number two. Uh, and leave us a voicemail, and, and we'll put you uh, on the air or on the bits. Um, and we did have a bit of listener mail that uh, Sean wanted to mention. Well, yeah, I just wanted to to jump in there, and uh, I don't know. I, I put it in the show notes, and I I'm thinking maybe this would be somewhat of a regular uh, part of the show, but would be uh, listener mail. And uh, Bjorn Barrett, who was on the show, oh, not too long ago, within Few the last month, yeah. Uh, he uh, he was re- he sent us an email in response to our uh, video editing. Uh, well, just last week, right? Think, the show episode. we did just last week, right? And uh, he had a couple of uh, a couple of things that he he threw out there that we didn't mention. Uh, one was jcut.com, dot com, uh, which was uh, Mark and I both kind of went and t- took a look at this, and it was really pretty interesting. Little Neither bit of us of... had ever heard of it before, uh, and and so we went and checked it out, and uh, yeah, it's a, a very light, very light uh, right. video editor online, so you don't even need any software. It's all flash based. And on their website, yeah. I mean, I played around with it. I know you played around with it. And uh, for a lot of people, that thing's going to work, right? Uh, you know, it's got some basic. It's got some uh, transitions, and you know, you can uh, uh, do. Uh, I think I think it was just two different video clips. Right, though, you can two only have two video clips. Lines. Right. Uh, so very basic editor, but uh, pretty cool, pretty neat. Uh, I certainly see uh, uh the average user that's not really having to do anything crazy uh could certainly use it and uh, without having to buy or install any kind of software or use uh, anything uh anything very complicated right the user i mentioned in our previous episode the 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 uh the woman wanting to make a, a wedding video or or uh the dad wanting to uh, uh memorialize his his softball team's run to the to the top you know though those sort of applications where it's just really light sort of uh clip editing jcut would be great for and it's a, it's a really neat tool right so that's uh, that's jcut j a y c u t uh, com and then uh, bjorn also mentioned blender and uh, bjorn uh we're we're very aware aware of blender and 
and uh, it, it's one of those tools that is just it's a top of the line tool and it, it, you really don't ever have enough time to learn it all. Uh, we just didn't feel that it was really quite a right fit when we're talking about video editing. It's not really a video editor. It's an animation tool. Right. And so you can make an animated movie, uh, you know, a la Pixar and, and Toy Story and whatever. Uh, and they do, they, uh, check out the Blender Foundation. Just Google that. Do uh, the Blender Foundation movies. They've made some really awesome short, uh, movies using blender but it's not a video editor per se and that's why we left it out right and uh but still good to plug blender i don't know if we've ever talked about it in the past or not but if you are into animation uh blender's pretty much the tool i mean it's been used on mainstream uh movies so blender is one of those tools and i think i mentioned it uh some some point in time it's one of those tools i have downloaded on every computer i've owned in the last 10 years and said i'm going to learn this (laughs) and i haven't and i keep downloading it and i keep saying i'm going to learn this and i haven't because the interface is so daunting and it's so huge but uh it's awesome for what it is absolutely absolutely i've I've got the same story i I love it every time i look at it i'm oh i'm gonna learn how to do this but i I mean quite honestly it's one of those skills that just it takes years to master and uh it's kind of like gimp you know i've been using gimp now for years and years and years and i still haven't mastered that thing uh blender is gimp to like the order of 10 you know i mean it's a great tool all right so thank you for that listener mail bjorn and with that we'll move on to the uh regularly scheduled tips of the week and i'll begin with the uh, tech tip and this one also comes from a listener uh, a fellow who calls himself the other chris we uh we often talk to chris in the chat room there um who uh whose uh nick is is slipped but also he uh, goes by chris and so the other chris uh mentioned a couple of tools and and this is one I had, uh, uh, I'm uh, tangentially familiar with. I know what it is, but I haven't actually used it. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. It's it's called Crash Plan. You can find it at CrashPlan.com, and um, it's a backup utility uh, where you install their client on multiple machines, some at home, some at work, some at your grandma's house, and they back each other up. And so you you can have some machine be the back and some being the backer, um, <laughs> however that works. And this is all at no cost. They, they offer you the client, and it, and it just works uh, across the cloud or across your LAN, and, and it syncs your files for you at no cost. Nice. If you want to move up to their paid version, which is uh, starts at about a buck fifty a month, they'll store it in the cloud for you as well. Oh wow! So then you get more of a Dropbox, uh, um, uh, Carbonite uh, sort of setup. Uh, so you can have that, or you can have the like. If I want to set. Um, a drive up at my house, and Sean sets a drive up at, at his house, and we back each other up. That's absolutely free. Nice, nice. That's a great one. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> and now, Sean, what is our teacher tip of the week? All right, our teacher tip of the week is digitalcitizenship.com. Kind of a long Earl there. Uh, digitalcitizenship with an ED on the end.com. And uh, I came across this site when uh, I was actually researching uh, the show that we did on digital citizenship. And uh, uh, it's just a great site. Uh, particularly for teachers, but also for uh, parents and students uh, where uh, you can sign up for this thing and uh, they've got uh, just all kinds of information about digital citizenship. Uh, For teachers, they have actual curriculum uh, geared towards uh, teaching digital citizenship, which uh, we've mentioned several times in the past that we feel is very important. 
So uh, uh, you go to the site. You're not going to see a whole lot on the first page. You actually do have to sign up for this site, but uh, they're, they're not going to spam you or anything. I, as a matter of fact, other than my confirmation emails, I don't think I've received anything else from them. So uh, uh, great site to, to go in and get some information about digital citizenship. Um, if you're a teacher, about teaching digital citizenship, and uh, you're going to find a lot of resources and tools there. So digitalcitizenship.com. There you go. Not to be confused with... Uh um, that digitalcitizenship.org, which is Dr. Rebel's, uh, Ribble's, uh, right. site. <laughs> so you add the ED and it becomes a whole different thing. Right. And of course you can get that, uh, like Mark mentioned, uh, at our site and we'll have links to all this. So, uh, you won't have to worry about getting, getting mixed up there. There you go. And so, uh, I think that's going to round us up. This was a longer episode than I thought it would be. And, uh, so, uh, uh, thanks for, uh, listening. Again, please find us on our various locations. Just, just put the words the and tightwad and tech together. You're going to find us, uh, right. one way or the other. And so, uh, join the conversation. Let us know what you think and, uh, we'll see you out there. So for now, this is Mark signing off and Sean signing off. <laughs>